think I see anybody new here, but I, my name is Rona, and I'm the campus director. Um, even though Will looks like a completely new man with that bomb haircut, and man, he looks like Kasu status, like famous. <laughs> um, we're actually going to have a special large group tonight. We we have usually done at least once a semester something called joint familia, where we like. We don't have familia that week, and we all get together. We did it at someone's house before and just worshipped and, like, broke up into smaller groups that aren't our familia. And we did it here in the past, but this semester the schedule didn't work out. And so even though you guys got to know your familia well, like the, the four, five, even seven in your familia, um, at large group you get to know, you know, some of the people. We haven't really gotten to, like, you know, really get to know one another that well in, like, other groups other than familia. So we really want to end this semester with just spending time together and sharing and um, praying for one another. So my message will be short tonight. And <laughs> all that to say, all that to say, and then we're going to do some small group time and have some other fun things um, lined up for this evening as well. And so um, I feel one thing on my heart as we wrap up this semester and as, you know, this chapter and season of all of our lives is coming to a close. So for exchange students, it's really evident. Like you are going to another continent. You're going home. It's a big transition. Like you are definitely going to see a change in your geographic location, in, the, in your friend group, in, in your church. Everything's going to change for you. It's easy to see. And, and long-term students, you might think, oh, like I'm going to be here again next semester. Not a big change, right? But many of you guys are are going to go home this winter break, and, and you will never be the exact same person you are now with this exact same group of people in this exact season of your life ever again. And there's something that God has done in this season of your life that is a Kairos, timely thing that you needed in this season. And sometimes the wisdom and the, the impartations, the revelation, the thing he does in our life, we don't always catch it because... We don't see it transform our lives in a lasting way because we haven't processed it well, because we haven't really claimed it and applied it to our lives. We haven't learned how to walk it out. We haven't learned how to take what we have learned of God and let it transform the way we live, you know? And um, one, one thing that I really, I really have come to appreciate about my path with the Lord in full-time ministry was that it didn't start with seminary because I'm very heady and intellectual and I love learning. But the path that God took me on was I, I didn't go to seminary first and then start ministry. I started ministry first. I started doing the work of the ministry, loving on God's people first. And the cool thing about that is that I realized it really doesn't matter how much you know, but what matters is if what you know has transformed who you are. And if you know a bunch of stuff about God and about the Christian life, but it hasn't changed you as a person, does it really matter what you know? What you know needs to transform who you are and how you live. And that's when it becomes real, evident transformation of the gospel at work in your lives, right? And so I want us to really, um, I felt one word on my heart for tonight was grace, the grace of God. And this is a message that's been like something that it's like, an ongoing conversation with the Lord that I've had. And I wanted to release this message like at Yonsei a while ago because it, I was having the conversation back then. But then, you know, I was here instead and I was waiting for God to tell me like when to release this. And I'm going to preach again about it because I just feel like it's something still stirring in my heart. But as we leave this chapter of our lives and as we go forward, one thing I want us to leave with is a fresh revelation of God's grace in our lives, a fresh um, uh, clinging to the grace of God in our lives. And I want us to learn how to remain in the grace of God, 
Okay? And so I want you to take out your Bibles and open up with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 9. We're going to look at two main parts of Scripture today. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 9, says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Everyone say, when I am weak, then I am strong. All right. Okay, so one thing I've been really fascinated with in this season of my life is finishing well. Okay? Finishing this race that I have with Jesus well. And that's very applicable to this this Emmaus large group because a lot of you guys have experienced the love of God and you guys have finished the semester well, but you're about to leave. Okay? our tender love and care, and this community, some of you, and, and I, I'm concerned about all of us finishing our race well. And what are the ingredients to finishing well? Okay, and even if you're here, this is something for all of us to consider, right? And I've been, I've been really fascinated with finishing well because this, I'm 26 years old, okay? I'm not a young spring chick anymore. And like, I just, I just, reflect back on my life and on certain things that happened. And I'm just really curious as to, you know, God, I really don't want to be on fire and burn for you for a few good years, a decade, and it fizzle out and it just be a good story. You know, I want to finish strong. What, what does it take to do that? Can you teach me? How do I finish well? And I started reflecting on when I was saved in March 2008 in Emmaus at Yonsei as an exchange student. And my whole life was transformed by this revelation of who Jesus was. It was right before I turned 20. I was 19 in March 2008. April, I turned 20. That's over, it's like almost seven years ago, okay, that I've been walking with God now. I've been doing full-time ministry for three years and been part of Emmaus for four years, okay? So that's half of my saved life. I've been ministering to college students. And as I look back on my life and reflect on my life, um, or even further back on my parents' life, um, on my grandparents' lives, I've been doing a lot of reflecting this year, okay? And through it, I, I kind of was thinking... Um, it, it kind of frightened me, okay? Because I, as I looked at my dad's life, as I looked at uh, my grandma's life, it, it really startled me that people can start very well in the Lord and things just vanish, okay? And, and so first I want to tell you guys a quick story about my dad. Uh, many of you guys know parts of his life through my testimony, but once I, I, when, one thing I haven't ever told you guys was his experiences with God as I was growing up. You guys know I wasn't born and raised in a Christian home, but there was experiences I had with God through what my parents did. And one experience was, um, it was really one of my youngest memories. I was very little. 
And I was playing in the living room late at night, and my dad had on some random show. I wasn't paying attention because I was, like, intrigued with my Legos. And, uh, and he, he had on some, like, blazingly loud televangelist, okay? A televangelist is like a preacher who's on TV, and a lot of them, like, a lot of them are kind of, like, you know, a little crazy. They take a lot of money and stuff like that, but a lot of them are legit, okay? So he's watching this televangelist, and... Um, and I don't know what he's saying at all. Like, it looks boring to me. But all of a sudden, my dad, who's, like, super tall and big, he, like, he goes from the couch, and he, he, go, he just falls on his knees, and he starts to weep in the living room. And I was the only one in there. And he's just on his knees, weeping and weeping and just, like, broken before God as this televangelist is speaking, right? And he's got his hands over his face just crying. And I've never seen my dad do anything like this. Like, he's like a really big, scary man, okay? He's just crying and crying. And I was just like, put the Lego together. But then also like, what is going on right now? I was really little. I didn't understand. And then I, I hear, I saw him pick up the phone. And the televangelist was doing some type of like, send in this amount of money and like you will see God answer your prayers or something. And then my dad calls and he, uh, he gives like a large sum of money. Like we were very well off when I was younger. Um, and so then he gave a lot of money and like he just crying was just so glad to give this money to God. And then, um, I also remember, um, I was also very young. It was the same house. We lived on our farm. And, and one day my mom and dad brought home this really, really, interesting-looking middle-aged man, and his name was Dennis. And he was very short, kind of like mentally not all there, and he smelled very, very bad. And um, basically they found him in, like, the break room or something of some company or or, um, factory or something. They just found him somewhere. And um, he was sleeping at work because he was homeless, And he didn't have a place to bathe. He didn't have a place to live. He didn't have any stuff. He was just homeless, and he was working at this place, right? He was kind of not mentally all there. He wasn't very smart. He he just, nothing was going very well for him. And then my dad said, "Uh, Rona, he's going to be living with us. He's part of our family now. And I was like, what? And I was like a really scary, scared, like little shy little girl anyway. And I was like, oh no, you know, this is a crazy man. Why does he have to live with us? He smells bad. And then like, I was just not happy about it. And I was really like, really like, ew, you know, like really not happy about it. But um, they, they gave him one of the rooms in our houses. And every night I had to take plate of dinner to him and I was like shaking you know and then um and then he ended up getting some type of cancer and we paid for he lived with us for a very long time like years and years and years we paid for his hospital bills paid for his medication we clothed him we fed him he was part of all of our Christmases Thanksgivings all my birthdays as a child um when we lived in Spain and Korea like we um he just took care of our house right and so like Uh, He became part of our family until he eventually passed away. And this is my my father, okay, who also was addicted to alcohol, committing adultery continually on my mother, and very abusive, okay? But I think about his life and the fact that he had this immense encounter with God. That's just one that I saw. There could have been more, okay? 
And then he had this crazy deep compassion for people who were impoverished, people who didn't have anywhere to go. And I think about my dad with his crazy work ethic. He was very driven, big visionary, very passionate, very, like, lovable. Like, he was he just had so much charisma, loved to take care of, and he was always giving money to the poor. And I was like, dang, I'm, I'm a lot like my father in many ways. And I was like, that scares me a little bit, okay? I'm like, what, why did he have these moments of powerful encounter? And why is this beauty in his heart? Yet he died a couple years ago, addicted to drugs and alcohol, extremely sick. Um, his liver was like eroded because of the alcohol consumption, like really overcome with sin and darkness and shame and heaviness right? Estranged from his family, he had destroyed and hurt almost every relationship in, in his family back home. So what happened here? I started thinking about that. And I also started thinking about my grandma. Um, she uh, was a very interesting lady, my dad's mom, okay? I went home last year for, for, to Arkansas for Christmas break, and my grandma um, she had passed away in 2010 or 2011, and they had been working through, like, you know, sorting through all of her things and, like, giving it to certain family members. And she, one thing I got was a bunch of her old antique jewelry, which I treasure a lot. And the, another thing that my mom had me look through this past trip back home a year ago was this big box, and in it were all these hymnals and all these notebooks and all these, like, church bulletins and, like, all these notebooks full of notes on books of the Bible and theology, because around this time in my grandma's life, she was in Bible college. Surprise, surprise, okay? And as I'm at a certain point in my life, I think about, wow, okay, this is interesting. History, you know, is, is interesting. And my grandma, like, she, I looked through her hymns, and I looked, she loved to sing. I looked through her books. I looked through her notes, and I was taken aback because her passion and love and devotion to Jesus was such, like, it was so inspiring to me. And I was just in awe of the fact that she wanted to give her life to serve the Lord in ministry. But the grandma that I met when I came on the scene in 1988, and the grandma that helped to raise me because she was our neighbor, she was not a minister of the Lord, okay? My grandma was honestly a very hard, cold, manipulative, bitter woman, okay? She didn't go to church ever. She had a very broken, messed up marriage with my grandpa. She was not happy a lot. And every time, anytime anyone asked her to go to church, she'd get this fearful look on her face and in like, and scowl and be like, um, and she would say something like, we don't need those people. Like, I know God myself. I don't need, I'm never going back to church. I'm never going back to church. Okay. This woman who is studying to become a minister of the Lord. And I just saw parts of my own personality that look very similar to my grandma's as well. And I wondered why she became so angry and isolated at some point in her life. And I've been asking God all throughout the summer and this semester, God, how do you finish well? How do I finish well? How do I finish my race well? I don't want to just be 
this woman who has these crazy, emotional, passionate encounters with God, gives sacrificially, takes care of the poor and the sick and the broken. I don't want to just be this minister of the Lord who's so zealous to build your ministry one moment, and the next minute it all just go in shambles. Like, what is the secret to finishing well? And if you look in the Bible, guys, you look through all the kings, you look through all the stories of biblical characters, there's so many people who don't finish well, Right? And I'm like, what is it about finishing strong that's so difficult? And I feel like God's simple answer to me each time I asked him, how do you finish well, is he would say, you have to learn to remain in my grace. Everyone say, remain in grace. Remain in grace. So at some point, as I studied the life of my dad, I began to realize that he began to believe his addictions and his sin and his darkness and his problems were greater than the grace of God. And he began to elevate the wickedness and evil he saw in his own heart above the power of the cross. And I don't know if you guys have had those situations in your life when when you get a revelation of your own wickedness and sin, or you get frustrated. Like if you're in a sin pattern, you're messing up, you're in a thought pattern, and it's, you know, like a cycle, and you're like, oh, I thought I was set free, but here I am struggling with this again. Here I am looking at this again. Here I am thinking about this again, right? And in those moments, you think, there is nothing that can set me free. In those moments, and guys, everyone has it, because on this side of eternity, we're not going to be fully perfect. Like, we're always going to be struggling with something and always going to be trusting in the Lord and his grace to set us free. But even in that freedom, there's still something else that God brings up, and it's going to continue. But at some point, if we ever get stuck and we say, the cross and the grace of God does not have power to set me free from this, then we've lost it. The moment we elevate the power of our sin over the power of the cross, we have lost. Okay? We have to remember, no matter what it is, no matter how far far we fall, no matter how great we stumble, no matter what sin we ever commit, and I'm not saying we're going to ever do that, but no matter whatever comes our way, it is not greater than the grace of God in your life. And on the end of that path of sin and destruction is the grace of God waiting to pick you back up and waiting to bring you back into the Father's love. That is one thing I believe my father lost sight of. Because I believe that moment of encounter with God's love was real. But I, I believe that when he went back into his addiction, he went back into his abuse, he went back into adulterous relationships, he just thought, I'm a lost cause. And instead of going back broken every single time he messed up, to the foot of the cross broken and saying, I can't do this, God. I, I cannot save or fix or free myself from this. I need you. Okay? Because he couldn't save himself. He couldn't free himself. Instead of doing that, he just said, I can't. And the cross doesn't have power for me. And I'm just going to, I'm a lost cause. Right? No matter what, we cannot believe sin is greater than the cross and the power of Jesus. With my grandma, I believe it was an opposite story. Okay? Uh, she grew up in the church and was very, like, faithful churchgoer from her childhood onward, enrolled in Bible college, and at one point zealous for the Lord and so joyful to serve. But at some point, I believe she let two things in her heart. One is bitterness, and the other is entitlement. 
okay? And these two things took her away from remaining in the grace of God. I believe that with my grandma's personality, which probably was similar to mine, she got offended or hurt by people and at some point closed her heart and decided that she wanted to isolate herself from the community of God. At some point, she developed this workspace mentality. And when you're critical of yourself, when you have certain standards for yourself, you're going to be critical and judgmental of others. You come in, and then somebody didn't do their church chores. They came late. They did whatever. And you've been slaving away for 12 years in this church. You didn't get any promotion. You didn't get any position. But here this person is. They just came in. They're still reeking of alcohol. They're called out. They're made some type of leader. They've, got, they've gotten all this stuff. And you are just ticked off, Okay. And then you start thinking, I've been working for the Lord. I've been faithful. I've been doing all this. And I deserve a little bit of something. I have earned more than what I'm receiving here. Okay? The moment we start talking like that, it's not good news for us. Okay? It is not good news for us. Resentment, bitterness, offense my grandma began to choose her own works over the grace of God. There was one moment uh, last year, last winter break, (laughs) for, for various reasons, my pastors did not let me go on the mission field, okay? And when I got, when I first got saved, my first desire and passion for ministry was mission work. It was not college ministry. It was not any other kind of ministry. The one thing that got me alive was mission work, you know, in the bush bush especially. And I was like, I want to be a missionary, Lord. I love the mission field. Like, I come alive in the mission field, okay? And so then, like, that's my favorite part of the year is when I get to go on New Philly mission trips. My favorite part, I like get through the rest of the year to go on New Philly mission trips. Like that's how much I like it. And then I look forward to it so much. But then for this year, I was like one of the only staff that was not allowed to go. Okay. And my best friend Tina went, my friend Eunice, everybody went, everybody went. And then the missions director, Lisa Kim, was like, you're, you're the most like experienced, you're on staff. So I'm going to make you the United, United Prayer Service overseer. So basically, all the mission mission leaders would give me updates from the field, and I would have to mobilize prayer to pray for each mission trip. So I got all the, this person got saved. We ministered in the slums. We saw healing, a leg grow out, like lame people walking, blind eyes seeing. And then I'm like reading it all and sending emails like, let's pray and like continue to increase the glory. You know what I mean? So I'm like reading everyone's like amazing testimonies from the field and I'm like doing it. It's like I had to send out prayers. Um, I'd get them all their updates from all the teams like overnight, wake up early in the morning, have to send it by 9 a.m. I'm still overseeing Emmaus. And then also, because all the staff is gone, Okay, I have to over, I have to take over their roles while they're gone. We cover for each other. So I've got like random, like intern pastor's duties, some Eunice code duties, like Myungwa's duties. Like I've got all these people's extra work. Okay. And so I'm not doing the one thing I'm excited about all year. And like, I'm like having to mobilize prayer for, for it. You know, it's like rubbing it in my face. And then like, 
I got everyone's extra work on top of my own stuff. And I was like, what is this crap, you know? Why, Lord? And then, like, that year is the year that they did slum ministry. And I've always, and they sent two trips to India. I've always wanted to go to India. Like, you can tell. I'm, a, I'm obviously still a little bit offended. So then, so, like, one night I was, like, printing bulletins, church bulletins, okay? And if you don't know, if you don't know about printing church bulletins let me tell you it is not it is not it is not okay like i like need some healing from my experiences but like i i used to do it like two years ago and i think every staff has to learn how to do it eventually and they have a season where they get good at printing church bulletins but our old printer his name is rico and <laughs> it seems as though every time you really need rico to work he fails and then when it's not important he's just operating fine okay and then it was, like, late at night. I had, like, finished UPS, the prayer stuff. I had finished, like, Eunice Coe's stuff that she assigned to me. I had finished, like, uh, Pastor Myung stuff she gave to me. And it was probably, like, past midnight. Uh, all the other stuff had left. I had to do, like, two, extra, two or three extra parts of the Sunday service the day after. It was late, late, late Saturday night. I was writing and typing the bulletins up. Then I had to print all 300 of them. And I did everything correctly, but Rico would not work. Rico would not work. And time was a ticking. And I remember, I think, I think like, um, my friends were out, like, eating, or, or they were just doing something very fun. I remember it was very fun. And then I was just like, I remember I stood, I stood in front of the, the, cop, the printer, and then I was just, I was like, it was like, I, I was fine, I was fine, I was fine, but that was the last straw. I, I just was like, no one was there. And I was like, God, like, I graduated with a 3.98. I was super cum laude. Like, my professors wanted to send me to, like, Princeton grad school. Like, I am, like, this is, I've been serving in this church through all this time. And the one thing I like is missions. And everybody's gone. And everyone's having fun. And the, and the printer's not even working. And, and like, I'm overqualified for this. And, like, I've been slaving away. Like, it's not fair. And I deserve some honor. And I deserve some respect. And I deserve better than this. And I was just, like, going at it, right? And I was, like, being completely dramatic. But I was really upset. There was, like, I was, like, happy, happy. Up until that moment, I just snapped. And then I felt the glory and presence of God come to me in front of the copy, in front of Rico. And I, I just felt like, I don't know if you guys have ever felt it, but like, have you, if you've ever felt the immense pleasure of God on your life, it's an indescribable feeling. Like, if every professor or parent ever d- just doted on you and just was, I'm so pleased with you, it feels like that times a million, right? And I just felt the immense pleasure of God in his presence. And I just felt like he was saying to me, Rona, like, if you were laying on your life in some random orphanage in Africa and you were living a life of surrender and, you know, of selfless love and, and serving them, I would not be more pleased with you than I am right now as you're waiting to print bulletins at this copy machine because you're living a life of abandon and love for me. And this, I honor you for this. This, I see as an act of love. And this, it matters to me. And this is a worthy and noble cause. And I was just like, oh, And something really changed in me that moment. And I remember thinking, thank God I didn't keep going down that route of I deserve something. God, you owe me something. God, I deserve better than this. Because that kind of mentality is a path to destruction, guys. Because we remove ourselves from grace reality to works reality. And 
that is not a good, good deal for us, okay? It's not a good deal for us when we begin to operate in works. <clears throat> there was a, um, a biblical writer named the Apostle Paul, okay? And just to sum up a story, he was like a legit, legit Hebrew, okay? He persecuted Christians, and at one point, God just interrupted him completely, and he spoke to Paul on a road, and he blinded Paul, okay? And then Paul had to go to a house and had this, like, noob person, kind of humiliating, lay hands and and pray for him for his eyes to be healed, okay? And then eventually... What happens is, is he begins to minister for the Lord. He's a powerful missionary. He writes half of the New Testament, okay? But Paul, God had to intercept his plans and blind him to the way he used to operate. Blind him to works so that Paul could start operating in a new reality called grace. And I want you guys to open up to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 2. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. I'm going to start reading for you. <clears throat> look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What happened here was Paul was blinded to this reality of works-based righteousness, right? I'm blameless in the law's sight. I'm zealous. Look at all my accolades. Look at all the reasons why I'm it, right? Look at my own strength. Look at my own successes. Look at me. Look at Paul. God blinded him to that and awakened him to the reality of grace. I count all that as rubbish, okay? It's easy for us to look at our sin, you know? If we have crazy sin in the past, I was addicted to drugs, sex, alcohol, whatever, I count that as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Duh, okay? But what about our successes, our great family, our great upbringing, our education, our degrees, all the good things about us, our great personalities, whatever it is that we have to our gain? Paul says, I count that as rubbish. That is filthy compared to knowing Christ. And if I have to go up to Jesus one day with either knowing him or my strength and righteousness and goodness, I'm going to say, heck no, it's about knowing you. I choose that every single time over my own righteousness, right? Do you want to know the way to finish strong, guys? It's by remaining in grace. It's not in elevating our sin. It's not in um, thinking God owes us anything from our work, entitlement. It's realizing that everything we have above eternal hell is grace. Is grace. We don't deserve anything, right? 
And if we remember that, no matter how long I've been walking with God, no matter how long I've been serving Him, no matter what awesome, righteous things I've done, it's all grace. My good acts and righteousness and my sinful acts are all filthy rags. It's all the level of filthy rags compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We have no thing to boast on other than in the Lord and the grace of God. The last thing I want to leave with you is this. You can hold on to one thing in your Christian walk. Your sin, your works, or Jesus. Your sin, your works, or your Jesus. If you hold on and elevate and worship your sin, it will be your master and God. And if you think, God cannot deliver me and rescue me from this sin, okay? If you hold on to your works and say, look at what I've done. Look at how much I've done for you, God. Look at how much I deserve. Look at how holy I am compared to A, B, C. Look at this person, right? If you hold on to your works, okay, that can be what you show for yourself. But if you hold on to Jesus, you can't hold on to your sin or your works. You have nothing else to show for yourself but the grace of God. And if you hold on to and remain in the grace of God, you will finish well. You will finish well no matter where you're going, no matter what you're going to be doing, by remaining in the grace of God. You will finish well. Um, That's all I have for you guys tonight. And practically, guys, the way we remain in the grace of God is what we're about to do. What... What, what allows us to remain in the grace of God is by constant thanksgiving and constant testifying, okay? By always giving God thanks. Sometimes it's hard to give thanks if we've been having, like, sucky time, right? By giving God thanks, it allows our hearts to remain soft and allows us to remember the grace of God, that we even have an ability to give him thanks for these things. Giving God thanks and testifying to what he has done in our lives, okay? This semester, we have seen... Crazy, powerful moves of God. We've seen Sisa, Sagyan. We've seen um, different organizations and professors show us favor and love and amazing relationships on this campus. We've seen an amazing student leader and staff team put on powerful large groups every every week, right? We've seen a lot of backstories that you guys don't know collectively. Students getting set free from crazy, like, chronic cyclical sin patterns and and deception and mindsets. We can't say it here, okay? But it's happening. People are getting set free every single week in Familia. We've seen people forgiving people that have hurt them. We've seen um, a powerful, fiery semester retreat where God baptized some of you in the Holy Spirit. You guys receive spiritual gifts. We have seen, like, salvations at this campus. We've seen a lot of things happen this semester, Okay? There's a lot to give God thanks for. But it's just about taking time and and really thinking through it. And so what we're going to do is I want to have you stand up. Everybody stand.